letter to the Philippians. This morning, the second chapter, beginning at the verse numbered one. Philippians 2 and 1. Hear the word of God. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being born in human likeness, being born in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Any parent whose child attends vacation Bible school knows that young kids have a remarkable ability to learn every word of the week's Bible school songs. Bible school songs are not necessarily known for their musicality or vocal quality. It's more like singing with all the volume one can muster. It's about the youngest looking up to the high school volunteers and the Bible school band blasting the song and doing the hand motions. Back in the early summer, I stood in the packed assembly room for the closing worship of the last day of VBS here at Nassau Church. Parents were invited to join in for the last few minutes of the morning. As I joined in with full voice and hand motions, I noticed more than just a parent or two singing every word. And that's not just because the words were up on the screen, that's just because the kids were singing at home all week long. When I was a solo pastor, slash Bible school director, slash music leader of the two-week Bible study, two-week Bible school we did, Back in the day, one of the favorite songs every summer was, What a Mighty God We Serve. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before God. Heaven and earth adore God. What a mighty God we serve. Over and over again. Louder and louder. I can still see the faces of five and six-year-olds singing with all they had. I can see them remembering every word. 
I don't have a name because year after year the faces sort of blend together, singing with an earnest and determined look and with such urgency, lots of clapping, lots of foot stomping, every repeat louder and louder, what a mighty God we serve. The song, it was part song, part cheer, part shout. It was more like a college fight song, really. A song for a pep rally. Pep rally for God. Mighty God. It's biblical, after all. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. Deuteronomy. Or the psalmist, who is the king of glory. The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. For a child has been born unto us, a son given unto us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the prophet Isaiah. What a mighty God we serve. Those kids, they love those songs. I love leading those songs. The faces and the names, they all smush together in my memory. Most of them would be in their 30s by now. And the world they live in, my guess is that for most of them, it doesn't look the way it did when they were clapping their hands and stomping their feet. Along the journey of a couple decades, they've had to learn that grandparents and parents and even friends die sometimes. They've learned words like cancer, terrorism, predator, Random violence, gun violence, waterboarding, mass shooting, mass incarceration, Christian nationalism, and pandemic. They've learned that jobs don't last a lifetime. You don't always get what you want, and life isn't fair. Peace never seems to come on earth, much less goodwill to all. Access to quality mental health care is really hard to find. Organizations that feed hungry people and health clinics that see people for free and shelters that protect abused women and children only get busier and busier. And when it comes to judging a person by the content of their heart and character rather than the color of their skin or the religion they confess or their gender or sexuality or the accent of their voice or the nation of their birth, well, Humanity still has a long way to go. Back at the church door on a Sunday morning, I often meet interesting folks who were just passing through Princeton and found themselves here in worship one Sunday morning. Last, just last week, there was a couple from Wales who decades ago spent some time in town when one of them was on sabbatical. They commented on my very Welsh-sounding name, David Davis. Turned out my grandparents were from the same town one of them was born in. There was the woman one Easter morning at the door who said, you don't remember me, do you? <laughs> that was a bit of a jolt. Turns out we were in youth group together when we were in high school. There was the couple one Sunday who came to town to celebrate their 40th anniversary, spend the weekend. They were married in the sanctuary 40 years ago that weekend. 
So I wonder what would happen if I met one of those old, young faces from 30 years ago, back at the church door. What would I say if they said to me, do you remember when you used to lead us in that song, What a Mighty God We Serve? And we would clap and stomp and shout. Gosh, I love that. But you know, it's not that easy anymore. The mighty God thing. And somewhere in my soul, I wouldn't know whether to have a pep rally for God or just a good cry. Because I knew then in my 20-year-old pastor self, 20-some-year-old pastor self, what I know now as well, the life of faith isn't much like a pep rally. A disciple of Jesus getting older learns that it is more like growing up in the chaos that the world has to offer and yearning to stay near to the light of God's presence. More like finding yourself wandering in the wilderness searching for purpose or meaning and hoping to hear, come, follow me again. More like traveling this bumpy road of faith and realizing that easy answers and the promise of everyday victory and the emphatic stomp that presumes joy was long ago replaced by the silence of waiting and the experience of unanswered prayer and the mysterious work of God's Spirit in and through and despite the darkness of struggle. Turning away from affirmations that seem like victory marches and shouts that come from a fight song and being drawn to promises like weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness shall not overcome it. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I think I need a do-over on Mighty God, Mulligan. Another chance. For a child has been born unto us, a son given unto us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. It's not a cheer at all. For a child has been born unto us, a son given to us, Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. And though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's... Mighty God redefined. Mighty God redefined forever and ever and ever. Mighty God whose strength is revealed in human weakness, whose power is defined by self-giving love, whose victory comes finally not by force, but by emptying himself so much so that there was no life in him. Mighty God. A mighty God who knows suffering and is in solidarity with the most vulnerable, 
who challenges the wealthiest and threatens the powerful and upends the strong and pushes a finger into the chest of empire, not in a battle of weapons, but with subversive teaching about the first being last and a radical grace that embraces the unloved and an unceasing call to care for the sick and feed the hungry and visit the prisoner. Mighty God. A mighty God whose kingdom shall know one day come on earth as it is in heaven. A kingdom that will know no end. A kingdom whose borders will be beyond what we can imagine. A new heaven and a new earth. No more crying or weeping shall be heard. Houses shall be full. Vineyards shall overflow. Swords shall be turned into plowshares. War will be learned no more. And they shall not hurt or destroy anything or anyone on God's holy mountain. And a little child shall lead them. Mighty God forever redefined. I spent some time in Asheville, North Carolina this week with a group of 25 Presbyterian clergy colleagues and friends. And on Tuesday, our host took us to visit the Hayward Street Congregation. It's a Methodist church that sits in what is referred to in Asheville as the homeless corridor. The congregation started about 10 years ago in a church building that had been vacated by another Methodist congregation. The founding pastor, Brian Combs, met with us in the sanctuary, and he told us of how the congregation started with offering a welcome table once a week. Anyone was welcome unhoused people, people who worked in the neighborhood, members of surrounding congregations, a home-cooked meal served at round tables, flowers on the table with tablecloths. The meal, he said, was as much about the relationships as it was about feeding hungry people. Brian went on to say that over and over again, folks in the congregation tell him the hardest most dehumanizing part about being unhoused and living in poverty is when people refuse to look at them, acknowledge them. Nothing takes away your dignity quicker, he said, than people trying to pretend that you don't exist. Thus the welcome table. No questions, no documentation needed, no worship service required, just a meal and a conversation around a, tent, a table. Ten years later, the welcome table is served several times a week. They worship twice a week, and all kinds of other programs are available in the community from a hair salon to beds of respite care for unhoused people when they're sick. A few years ago, the congregation partnered with a local artist named Christopher Holt to commission the fresco that you can see on the wall. The fresco fills an entire wall in front of the sanctuary. The artist, working in the same ancient medium as da Vinci when he painted the Sistine Chapel and the Last Supper, designed a wall-to-wall, floor-to-ceiling work that intentionally highlights unhoused or previously unhoused people who are part of the Hayward Street community. 
As you look at the beautiful piece, you can see how the artist holds each in relationship to the whole. The importance of the welcome table slash Lord's table. The rich diversity, which is the Hayward Street Congregation. The names of the people depicted in the artwork are Charlie and David, Angel, Eric, Blue, Rachel, Thomas, Jeanette, Jerry, and Christopher. You can see the person, one of the above, who is now the chief gardener on staff. You can see in the above, listed in the above, the one who volunteers in respite care. One of the members of the community in the artwork died of pancreatic cancer just as the fresco was being finished. And the pastor can be seen just a bit tucked behind a rock on the right-hand side. The woman at the center of the fresco is Mary. She's the chef for 10 years, whose cooking and hospitality rests at the center of the congregation's life, conviction, and theology. A documentary about the making of the fresco has been done by a professor at Wake Forest University. It's called Theirs is the Kingdom. And includes interviews with most of the folks in the art, in the artwork. And both the artist and the pastor in the film comment on how fitting it is to honor a population so unseen with painting their image on a wall that will last pretty much forever. And as my clergy colleagues, as us clergy types, sat around looking at the fresco for a long time, the pastor looked back at us, and he sighed a bit, and he said, when the artwork was finished, people from all over Asheville came to flock to it, and other congregations and pastors came to see it and experience it. And then he said, we took some criticism and blowback because this fresco has no depiction of a Christ figure. He reminded us about art history and how the messianic figure was most often depicted in a likeness consistent with the patron putting up the money, which meant European white male. But what was most powerful last Tuesday afternoon was when Pastor Combs shared his response to that theological critique of the artwork. He said in almost a whisper, I look up at that wall, and I see a Christ figure absolutely everywhere. Mighty God, redefined forever and ever and ever. Amen.